Hello there, my name is Justin, and uh, I'm the host of this show, Mysterious Circumstances. Uh, this is my first episode, so I am a little bit nervous, not even going to lie to you. I actually got a uh, half-open, half-drank beer here, just to uh, kick the nerves a little bit. Hopefully it helps. Hopefully you like the show. Um, basically, my first show is going to be about uh, Dr. Frank Olson who, uh, <clears throat> on November 28th of 1953, at about 2.30 a.m., uh, the biological warfare scientist and CIA employee, uh, age 43 at the time, plunged to his death out of a closed window from the 13th floor of the Hotel Statler in New York City. Um, initially, it was ruled a suicide, but in 1975... The United States President's Commission on CIA Activities within the United States was set up by Vice President Nelson Rockefeller, and uh, it's often referred to as a Rockefeller Commission. And uh, this was basically set up in response to uh, a New York Times report in 1974 that the CIA had conducted illegal domestic activities, including experiments on U.S. citizens during the 60s. Uh, the commission issued a single report where it uh, publicized Project MKUltra, which uh, was a CIA mind control study. Uh, that same year, the government actually admitted that uh, Olson had been unknowingly dosed with LSD nine days before his death. Uh, and then to, uh, to thicken the plot a little bit, in 1994, his uh, oldest son, Eric Olson, uh, with the death of his mother, wanted his father buried next to her, so he had the body exhumed. And uh, while it was exhumed, he had a second autopsy done. And uh, they ended up showing uh, some signs of foul play. So, that's where that's where this story is going to get really interesting here. Pretty quick. So, a little, little backstory on Frank Olson here. And, uh, he was born in 1910 in Iron County, Wisconsin. Uh, he earned his Bachelor's of Science in 1938 from uh, University of Wisconsin. And in 1940, he married his fellow student, Alice Wicks. Then in 42, he went ahead and got his Ph.D. in uh, biochemical or biochemistry from University of Wisconsin. Sorry if I stutter on words here. I really don't have a script, so I just kind of wing it. I don't edit nothing, so it is what it is. But uh, after he gets his Ph.D., he goes to work at Purdue University for a little bit, which is uh, in my home state, Indiana, here. And uh, while he's doing that, he's actually serving as a captain in the Army Chemical Corps as well. In uh, 1943, uh, Olson gets recruited to a newly established top-secret chemical and biological warfare research center in Frederick, Maryland called Camp Dietrich. Uh, he was actually one of the first civilian scientists employed there, and uh, he excelled at uh, aerosolized germ warfare, specifically anthrax, which, you know, some pretty nasty stuff, but Olson was obviously no dummy. He's a very smart guy. And uh, let's see here, and let's just let's just get this list down for the note. Some of the stuff you're going to hear about 
Frank Olson being involved in probably isn't the best stuff that anybody would want to be involved in. Um, but it was stated over and over by family and friends. Frank Olson actually, he, he had he had good intent. He really didn't, didn't want to hurt anybody. He was uh, basically just trying to help his country out. You know, we started all these experiments in response to like, uh, you know, Germany and China and, uh, and Korea and stuff like that. So he was actually a very patriotic guy, but uh, but on with the on with the story here. And uh, in 1949, Olson is actually suspected of divulging government secrets and interrogated. Um, he's getting in trouble with the MPs on base. Uh, his best friend, who we worked with every day for about three years, uh, Norman Cornoyer. Uh, both him and his family uh, say he really didn't fit the military personality. He was extremely outspoken. He liked talking. He had no problem mincing words. And that meant whether it was an MP or not. So uh, after he was interrogated, uh, it was advised that he have supervision, which he absolutely just hated. Uh, and that meant especially when he was working because they believe that at this point he might be a security risk in the future. Um, that might play out in the story here in a little bit as well. But in 1950, despite all that, in April of 1950, he, uh, he joins the uh, Special Operation D Division at uh, Camp Dietrich. Um, and we're assuming that this is when he basically starts working for the CIA as well. Um, just because he gets a diplomatic passport, which is uh, extremely unusual for an army scientist. And uh, right around this time, the government is starting uh, secret tests uh, with an agent called LSD. And uh, they were using that, chemicals, and uh, torture um, to, to try to interrogate prisoners, basically. So... Uh, about 1950, Frank starts going to Europe quite a bit, and especially uh, Germany, to a place called Camp King, um, which is actually an army interrogation center. Um, in August of 51, uh, Project Bluebird, which Project Bluebird was a, a project basically to pursue research and in special interrogation techniques. Um, basically with the use of like I stated before chemicals, drugs, torture basically whatever they could do um, but in August of 51 that project actually changes to uh, Project Artichoke which is the uh, predecessor for MKUltra but the new Project Artichoke uh, their new goal is uh, hypnosis to induce amnesia um, and they do this using chemicals, torture, and brainwashing techniques. Um, they actually recruit a New York magician named John Mulholland to uh, teach hypnosis and sleight of hand techniques. Um, the sleight of hand techniques would be for to actually dose uh, unknowing uh, suspects with LSD so they can interrogate them afterward. And they actually did this... Uh, Believe it or not, they recruited a bunch of a uh, bunch of prostitutes at the uh, local brothel to uh, slip them 
all the LSD before interrogations. It's a that was a pretty interesting story actually. Um, but after after he comes home after that, still still in 1951, you know Frank's seen some things that he really wasn't used to. Um, he's noticeably noticeably depressed a little bit. And uh, it was weird because his son in an interview actually said, you know, he's like, we knew, you know, when dad came home, we knew that the whatever he was working on, all his research, uh, was a success because he would come home all sad. And he's like, you know, you would think you'd be happy, but the reason he was sad was because every time his research was a success, uh, all the monkeys in the lab died, which uh, Frank was not. You know, a big fan of, uh, you know, killing a bunch of monkeys for the sake of research, but I guess better than killing a bunch of people, which, you know, we'll get to that too. So, uh, and actually at one point in time, he actually told his wife that uh, if the Germans had won the war, that we would have been prosecuted for war crimes, which, if that tells you anything right there about the kind of stuff that they were doing, you know, it tells you a lot right there. So, uh, basically, uh, in June 1952, Frank starts going to uh, Frankfurt, Germany quite a bit. And he's actually uh, seen and photographed with other CIA agents. And uh, they're there conducting tests on uh, Russian and German German Nazis uh, using drugs, torture, and hypnosis, and they're basically trying to brainwash and interrogate them, uh, trying to uh, make them submissive, and, uh, you know, he comes home after that, and uh, that that one kind of kind of got, got him quite a bit more than the last couple trips. Um, he comes home, and he actually tells his friend Norman Cornoyer, you know, who's a... Uh, I stated earlier was a very good friend of his uh, he said uh, they used all kinds of drugs and chemicals he says they didn't care if they lived or died he says uh, and I quote you would be stunned how they made them talk end quote and uh, you know Norman was kind of threw off like about this because he knew Frank and he knew Frank personally you know and he, he could tell that he was troubled by it quite a bit um <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, in uh, in about April of 1953, Artichoke actually becomes MK Ultra. The purpose of MK Ultra was to create Manchurian candidates to carry out remote-controlled assassinations, in which the use of LSD and hypnosis was highly emphasized. And this was uh, controlled by the Chief of Chemical Division of the CIA uh, Technical Services Staff, Sidney Gottlieb. And uh, just a side note, if, uh, if you've never heard of Sidney Gottlieb, uh, you should really look him up. Because that dude is, uh, you know, a pretty much uh, cliche, sinister government character, pretty much. Um, so... And, you know, he comes back and they're actually doing a lot more, quite a bit more tests with uh, this LSD and other chemicals, uh, anthrax and interrogation and brainwashing techniques. Um, so, uh, and actually, uh, 
in June of 53, he goes on, uh, Frank goes on vacation with his family. And uh, his brother-in-law and uh, his other family notice, you know, he is extremely withdrawn and depressed. He's, you know, his job's actually starting to get, and get to him. He's witnessed a lot of things. He's not very happy with where he's at right now. Um, it's just starting to get a little bit too much for him. Uh, so about a month later in July of 53, Olsen goes to Europe. Guy's got guy's to keep working, you know. He, uh, he goes to Paris, England, Scandinavia, and Morocco. And uh, a little interesting tidbit in uh, Paris right about this time uh, when Frank was there there was actually what they believed were were tests done by uh, uh, what are they called the planes that uh, dust the crops they uh, uh, there was a little a little town in in France I can't remember the name of it I had too much research to do it got to be too much but uh, but basically they uh, they dosed almost an entire little town in uh, France and uh, seven people eventually died you know you know a dozen or so went to the nut house um, yeah it was it was quite quite interesting and Frank just act actually happened to be there because like I said earlier you know he was uh, his expertise was uh, aerosolized chemical warfare so he was uh, probably one of the head brains on that one so uh, you know there was actually in uh, August 53 uh, his son was actually there's an undocumented trip to Berlin which we assume was a CIA safe house um, and actually it's undocumented the only reason we know about that he was actually there was because uh, his son was looking through old uh, old films that Frank used to take when he'd go on his trips and uh, it showed Berlin and it was right around August when he was over there in Europe but on his passport you never see any of that it was totally undocumented and uh, while he was in Berlin he watched uh, watched a lot more torture and interrogations uh, with the use of some because some of his chemicals that he had developed and uh, you know more LSD and more brainwashing techniques now when he comes home from this um, he confides in his friend Norman again which is a uh, you know, like I said, his best friend. He actually says he's done. He wants to quit the CIA because he really, really can't take it anymore. Um, so, you know, he's he's just basically biding his time. And uh, here's where we here's where we get into some pretty interesting stuff. On uh, on November of nineteenth of fifty three, which was a Thursday. Um, Olson actually leaves his home in Frederick for a secret meeting uh, at the shore of a Deep Creek Lake retreat in uh, western Maryland. It's about a three-hour drive from uh, Camp Dietrich. Um, this meeting consists of nine people, uh, five from the Special Operation Division, four from the Technical Services Staff of the CIA. Um, the CIA group includes some people like uh, the chief of the TSS group, uh, Sidney Gottlieb, um, and his assistant Robert Lashbrook. And uh, on the first evening of the meeting, Frank Olson is drugged with LSD unknowingly uh, by a glass of a Cointreau, 
uh, liquor. Um, four others are allegedly also drugged. Now, the thing that you got to remember here is that these details were not revealed until June of 75 when the Rockefeller Commission came out. So, his family does not know any of this. Alright. So, uh, um, on, on Friday, uh, Olsen returns home from uh, Deep Creek and uh, he is uncharacteristically uh, just quiet, withdrawn, depressed. Um, you know, he just he he knows what happened basically. Um, he knows he knows that he was he was drugged and that you know they basically used artichoke techniques on him. And uh, it's actually you know said that uh, you know they. They actually told participants it was about a sports journalist, which I don't know why the hell you'd tell anybody that. Um, everybody was the the four the actually the five of them uh, were drugged, and uh, actually a former CIA agent named Ike Feldman later says uh, Frank wasn't drugged because he was still a security risk. Um, the CIA was actually conducting self testing. Uh, Frank basically just got so upset that because he knew he was interrogated with artichoke techniques. Um, so when he comes home uh, to spend his you know weekend with the family on November 21st, 22nd, which is a Saturday and Sunday, um, he spends a weekend with his wife and family in Frederick. And uh, Olson tells his wife that he has made a terrible mistake, and uh, he promises to explain later you know what he means but he never actually gets the chance to unfortunately and I'm pretty sure we can assume that it has quite a bit to do with his job and what he's been involved in in the past you know 10 years or so um, he actually tells his wife that he wants to quit his job and uh, retrain himself as a dentist he just wants to give it all up so on November 23rd that following Monday uh, Olson goes to a job at uh, Dietrich and tells his boss, uh, Vin Ruit, who uh, was actually also at the retreat, uh, that he wants to quit. And, uh, you know, Ruit tells him, hey, you know, you're doing a good job. You know, you shouldn't quit, dude. You shouldn't quit. So, uh, on November 24th, on a Tuesday, Olson goes to work, uh, but he actually goes back home at 10, and he's driven by a uh, special operations. Uh, driver and basically Olson tells his wife that Ruit has told him you know that there's a chance he might become violent personally I don't believe this um, I also heard other reports that Olson has to basically be taken to New York to receive psychiatric treatment and or be debriefed um, at no point in time would I ever think from doing all this research that Olson would become violent with his wife or his kids. Uh, he's an extremely loving father. He loves his family to death and he's actually wanting to quit the CIA, you know, to be with them and to, to quit all the hoopla and everything like that. So, uh, so Frank, um, Frank Ruitt and, uh, Robert Lashbrook, uh, leave for New York. And uh, here we go with the treatment. Alright. 
and uh, this is the details from the CIA documents that were obtained in uh, 75. Uh, November 24, 1953, Tuesday, Olson has his first meeting with Dr. Abramson, uh, Dr. Harold Abramson, which is a CIA doctor. He's actually an allerg allergist and a pediatrician who's helping the CIA with uh, psychotropic research into the effects of LSD. Um, uh, the next day on the 25th, Wednesday during the daytime, Olson is taken by Ruit and Lashbrook to meet uh, John Mulholland, who is the magician that I uh, mentioned earlier. And Frank Olson, like I said, was not a big fan of this guy, so he, he gets agitated and, and wants to take off. Um, now this is where it starts getting a little bit weird. Um, there's a report that says Olson and... Uh, Olson returns back, or they want to take Olson back to uh, back to Camp Dietrich, but he says he doesn't want to go. Okay, he you know he wanted to spend Thanksgiving with his family, um, but in the CIA report it says that Olson gets halfway there, he gets to Washington, and uh, he says that he's worried he might become violent with his children, and instead of returning home, he uh, he wants to return to New York to see Dr. Abramson. Personally, I do not believe this. Uh, I think he was there the, the whole time. You know, I know. Uh, I know. Ruit goes on to uh, Camp Dietrich and you know tells Olson's wife that everything's okay. You know, and he won't make it home for uh, for Thanksgiving. But uh, Ol Ol Olson and uh, Lashbrook are uh, in New York. And uh, end up having Thanksgiving dinner at uh, some restaurant in Midtown Manhattan. Um, on November 27th, Friday, Dr. Abramson stops by the hotel in the evening to give Olson a dose of uh, Nebutal and a glass of uh, bourbon. Now, as you remember, we've been talking about people dosing people, them not knowing it. Just saying, okay? Just remember that. So, why you would take an Nambutal with a glass of bourbon prescribed by a freaking doctor, I have no idea. But anyway. So, here we go. At about 2.30 a.m., uh, this is according to Lashbrook's account, um, to Alice Olson and uh, uh, another doctor, Lashbrook woke up to see Frank Olson standing in the middle of the room. Lashbrook attempts to speak to him. Olson does not answer, but instead runs across the room and plunges through the window. Mind you, this is a closed window. Plunges through a closed window from the 13th floor out of room 1018A and uh, hits the ground. Um, he does not die immediately actually the uh, uh, there's another version of what happened where Lashbrook actually says that he woke up and he heard the sound of crashing glass and then he saw that Olson's bed was empty and putting two and two together he concludes that Olson had fallen or jumped out the window um, Lashbrook was in the room when the police arrived um, this is a pretty interesting little part of the story, actually. Uh, Armand Pastori was the manager of the hotel at the time. 
and uh, he heard the crash and uh, he went outside and uh, he was there the last few seconds that Frank was alive and he kept telling him Frank was trying to tell him something but he couldn't make it out all he heard was some grumbles and uh, you know not to get too descriptive on you but he also said Frank had you know blood coming out of probably pretty much every orifice on his face okay and uh, he actually died a few seconds later so he goes back in and uh, calls the police well they go up to uh, he looks actually before he goes in he's outside on the sidewalk looking up to see about where he came from and he notices that the blinds from that room are actually kind of out they're they're stuck out and that's when he noticed that the window was closed so he sees a little bit of movement up there which obviously would probably have been Lashbrook now personally I don't know how he really saw all this at 2.30 in the freaking morning I mean I can I can imagine New York's probably pretty bright okay but you're looking 13 floors up at 2.30 in the morning you know I'm not sure real 100% on that so basically he calls the police <clears throat> they go up to the room uh, the police kick in the door they go in and they find Lashbrook sitting in his underwear on the toilet elbows on his knees hands in his head he offers no explanation for for why they were even there let alone what happened he just gave his two conflicting stories and that was about it uh, you know not much else from that um, so the manager goes down to the hotel room and he asks he says hey you know what has has there been any calls coming to or out of that hotel room you know somebody was up there and they were acting extremely weird and uh, the operator actually says um, yeah there there was one call from the room to a landline in Rhode Island and uh, the phone call consisted of Lashbrook calling the unknown person you know assumably they're thinking it's either uh, Abramson or Sidney Gottlieb no one really knows uh, and all he says is Frank Olson is dead and the other voice on the end of the phone says well that's too bad both parties hang up that's it little suspicious kind of weird yeah I would say so <clears throat> so the family's told that Frank Olson has a nervous psychotic breakdown <clears throat> and uh, basically he either fell or plunged to his death um, his wife Alice you know the the oldest son Eric was nine at the time there were two other children um, and you know they just couldn't comprehend what happened um, Alice actually became uh, started becoming a pretty severe alcoholic um, which later she actually she actually fought her way out of um, they actually named a uh, treatment center uh, after little, little interesting fact there but uh, <clears throat> in 1994 Eric Olson who has basically been trying to investigate his father's death pretty much his entire life uh, has his father's body exhumed to be buried next to his mother so while the body's exhumed he decides to get a uh, another opinion on the autopsy by uh, a guy named uh, 
Professor James Starks from uh, George Washington University. And uh, during the autopsy, they actually find a, uh, a hematoma, which is a, a hemorrhage, on the uh, right side of the uh, head where the temple's located, or right by where the temple's located, which is not consistent with a 13-story fall. Um, find that pretty interesting and actually in the uh, the original autopsy report they said that he had since he had jumped out of a uh, a closed window he had quite a bit of cuts and uh, abrasions all over his body um, professor stars did not find any whatsoever another little interesting fact here is that I can't remember the year and I'm really sorry for this um, I want to say 54, but uh, an actual assassin manual from the uh, the CIA is released, okay? And uh, it's really, really interesting because it actually says in there that, uh, oh, let's see if I can find it here, probably not. Nope. It actually says that, uh, the, oh, it is, it's an assassination manual from 53. And it actually says the, uh, the best way to, uh, assassinate somebody is to drug them, uh, drug them and, uh, throw them out a window more than more than a 10-story window um, and basically it'll look like a suicide you know there's no trace of anything depending on what drugs you you put in um, it's I don't know it's it's freaking insane I mean this stuff's all over the internet and uh, it's actually a you know pretty it's pretty intense um, but you know you can you can come up with your own conclusions there um, now you know uh, let's basically get to you know oh here we go the most efficient accident in simple assassination is a fall of 75 feet or more onto a hard surface elevator shafts stairwells unscreened windows and bridges will serve um, bridge falls into water are not reliable. In simple cases, a private meeting with the subject may be arranged at a properly cased location. The act may be executed by sudden vigorous exercise of the ankles, tipping the subject over the edge. If the assassin immediately sets up an outcry, playing the horrified witness, no alibi or withdrawal is necessary. Um, in chase cases, it will usually be necessary to stun or drug the subject before dropping him. Care is required to ensure that no wound or condition not attributable to the fall is discernible after death. That's pretty interesting right there. Um, but anyway, let's get to the subject here. Now, is it possible after the first time he was drugged, he came home. He's talking about terrible mistake he made. Now, not saying I've done LSD, okay? But I've quote-unquote seen in movies, alright, that 
it opens up your mind quite a bit, alright? Um, yeah, you start thinking about things you normally wouldn't think about. You know, that's the God's honest truth. <clears throat> um, you know, is it possible that after, you know, is it possible, first off, that he was dosed by uh, Dr. Harold Abramson again? Like I said, you know, Frank Olson was a very smart man. Why he would take a freaking glass of brandy after he was drugged nine days earlier from the same thing, you know, with a sleeping pill, I have no clue. That per that personally does not make sense to me. Um, the you know, you know, if he did take it, okay, um, you know, is it possible he started thinking about things? started regretting some stuff you know yeah it's a good possibility um personally if i was gonna jump out a window i'm not really sure i mean yeah i was gonna die anyway but i kind of want to make it quick and painless i don't think i'd want to jump through a closed freaking window all right um you know and then you know we bring up the subject of the phone call you know pretty fishy to me um, there's actually still as of 2012 there was still an actual wrongful death suit um, it probably I can't recall I think it got thrown out pretty much because when the uh, Rockefeller Commission came out and they discovered what had happened to Frank about being dosed at the retreat uh, nine days before he died um, basically Gerald Ford offered uh, offered them uh, $750,000 I think it was you know and like a basically a kind of a wrongful death type situation thing and uh, they took the money so basically when you take the money in a situation like that you can't come back and say hey you know we're gonna sue you again you know you can't really can't really be doing all that but you know at the end of the day you know, it's hard telling. I can't. I I quit the research after about '94. Uh, you know, I read a little bit into it about 2012. Um, Eric Olson is still out there. He's still doing his thing, and he's still still researching that death. Um, there is, if any of you want to uh, do your own little bits of research or anything like that on this, like I said, it is it is an extremely deep rabbit hole. Because once you get in, there's freaking links to everything else. And you can just sit around and chase yourself around for hours with this story. Um, personally, I, I definitely think he was murdered. Um, it just doesn't make sense why somebody who wants to quit the CIA, um, who was supposedly a security risk, um doesn't want anything to do with it anymore um loving father loving husband would kill himself a couple of days before he is set to actually actually leave and restart restart his life so to speak um it really doesn't make a lick of sense to me personally um but that's why i do this uh it was an interesting story I really want everybody to kind of draw their own conclusions and feel free to, uh, you know, comment or anything like that. Um, I'm going to try to do this podcast uh, once a week. 
Um, I do get busy sometimes, but my goal is once a week. I do not know what I'll be doing next week. I'm sure I'll find some awesome story out there somewhere. But, I am always open to suggestions. And, uh, if you want to comment, you know, maybe give me a suggestion, critique me, tell me how awesome I am, or, uh, how horrible I am, either or. I do take criticism pretty well. Um, or maybe you're, you look into it and you see something that I didn't see that's uh, really interesting or know something I don't know about this case. Um, you can feel free to email me at mysteriouscircumstances99 at gmail.com. Uh, it's all one word. mysteriouscircumstances99 at gmail.com. Um, I would love to hear from anybody. I know I got like, I think I got like one or two followers, um, as of right now, and I'm pretty sure, you know, my family will probably be following them, but I count them, you know, I count them because it makes me feel good. But, uh, but anywho, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to try, like I said, this is my very first podcast, so I'm going to try to explore all avenues when I do this thing every week. Um, like it says in the description, you know, unsolved murders, uh, disappearances, maybe a conspiracy theory here and there, maybe some paranormal stuff. I actually get into like all that stuff, um, pretty much everything that that's I find it all intriguing. Um, and actually, uh, my favorite podcast. Uh, love to give a shout out to them, uh, Thinking Sideways. They're actually the inspiration for me doing this. Uh, I keep giving them suggestions and. Uh, you know, they're just too busy to do them. No offense, guys. I know you guys probably get tons and tons of them. But this case, I could not wait to throw them a suggestion and see if they did it or not. I actually had to do this one myself. And I hope it wasn't horrible. But anyway, I am uh, going to get off here. I'm actually proud of myself for keeping this under uh, 40 minutes. Um, and uh, whoever listened, uh, I'll see you guys next week. And... Imagine I'll uh, catch you on the flip side.